Well, good evening, everyone. Totally good to be here. Uh, thank you that for them thoughts, Drew, to get us started and get our minds thinking. Um, good to, uh, uh, that's why we come here, I guess, to stop and think a little bit and try to uh, learn something. So it's my goal tonight maybe to help uh, be a teacher. This is Winter Bible School, so uh, that also, I would say, makes you a student. So if you have a question or something comes up or a thought, uh, feel free to speak up, raise your hand, or make yourself heard. I'm open to hear from you as well. I definitely don't have this all figured out. Uh, I am here tonight with my family. We have uh, seven children. Um, my wife, Amy, uh, we met in 2001 and got married in 2004. And I would have never thought that someday I'd be the father of seven children, but that is the case today. Uh, Tamara is our oldest, is 15, and our youngest, Coleman, is eight months old. And uh, we're busy people because of that, trying to figure out how to raise children. And uh, indulgence and its consequences was the topic given to me. And uh, just as we were sitting here, my little two-year-old daughter was uh, having trouble sitting already in church, and she has to learn uh, how to deny herself. When Drew talked about the opposite of this, of indulgence, I think is self-denial. And it's something we all have to learn. Or maybe I should ask the question here at the church at Myerstown. You know, I don't know, uh, I know some of you, but I don't know any of you very well to know that um, maybe indulgence is something that hasn't uh, crept into the church here, hasn't crept into any of your lives. Somehow you've figured out how, how to overcome this. So is that, would you, anybody here say that's the case? But we don't have it here. Yes. No, maybe. I think everybody would say probably, I'm just going to assume, before we waste all night talking about the subject that uh, you've already figured out, that it's something that does creep into our lives, especially in America. Um, it's something that, uh, well, I shouldn't say especially in America. I want to be careful with that. I'm not sure that it's related uh, directly to the quantity of things available to us. Uh, when I read through Job, anyway, um, the quantity that was there did not cause Job to indulge. Would we agree with that? Somehow, he figured this out, and uh, he understood this, and I, I think we can uh, gain some wisdom from that from Job. I think we do justify ourselves sometimes. Since there's so much available, since, you know, and then we, we end up justifying things. So I have four points I want to look at. What is indulgence? Define it a little bit. Why do we indulge? What are the consequences? What is the cure? And uh, hopefully I can get through all four of them. The goal is also for you to look into your life and search for areas that, you know, you can find that, you know what, I'm, I'm crossing a line, I'm, uh, I'm indulging. And then to be able to identify it and go do something about it. You know, the, uh, we can do a lot of chatter, and I think about this at work. Uh, I'm an employer, I have some employees and uh, lots of co-workers, and uh, we do lots of things to try to be a little more efficient, be a little better, but we can do so much talking about human behavior, and there's time for action, and that's hopefully uh, which we can do if we learn enough uh, to be able to put it to action, put it to practice. Faith without works is dead. Another important factor to know in this, when I looked at this subject, is to know that it's, uh, or to understand that God is a just, fair God. Uh, he, he has everything figured out, and he is very fair, very just. Everything uh, in his, he will make things right if something's not right. And he saw it fit that there is a vast difference in our view 
of what we receive in material things here on earth. Um, so there's people in Haiti, for example, that have received much less than you have and uh, will never receive. There's never a chance that they could enjoy the things or have the things uh, that, that we enjoy and that the quantity and the amount of things that we have. But somehow God uh, sees that as that's okay. I don't think uh, um, our happiness is connected to the amount of things we have. Uh, we spent, my wife and I spent two years living in Grenada and that's probably where I best grasped or uh, was able to understand that there's people with so little that are so happy. It's our happiness and our success is not about the amount of things that we have. And that's, that in America is pretty hard for us to figure out. What might be indulging for you might very well be moderation for someone else is also important. Uh, when we look around at other people, there's always somebody that has more, something you've got to get used to. Um, when, you're, when you're looking for what success is in life and how you're, how you're living your life, um, part of self-control or self-denial is going to also be the acceptance that I'm never going to achieve it all or I'm never going to achieve more than anyone else. There's somewhere there's somebody at the top, but uh, uh, we're, I don't think any of us here are anywhere close to that. Uh, maybe an example of that, of the different view of how we view things in moderation versus indulgence. Uh, takes me back to Grenada again. My wife was uh, making pizzas with uh, Andrea Mahan, was the pastor that I was there, co-pastor to, Kanhai and Andrea. And we had them over one evening to, and we were making pizza. And uh, they came to put the pepperonis on the pizza. And as they put, my wife started putting the pepperonis she had on the pizza, and Andrea said to her, now that's how you put pepperonis on a pizza. And what she meant, as they discussed this a little more, was that normally they just put maybe a few pepperonis on the pizza, and there might be enough for one on each piece, and there might even be a piece that doesn't have any pepperonis on that pepperoni pizza. But the way my wife, in the American way of doing it, was there's two or three pieces of pepperoni on each piece of pizza. So... It, you know, and just the way we live our lives, there's other people in other parts of the world would probably call us out on a lot of things that uh, they could, if they lived with me every day, they could say quite a few times during the day, now, Dan, isn't that indulging? You know, isn't, isn't that something? And yet somehow we, we're just uh, pretty used to um, living the way we do. I also, as I was thinking about this and thinking back through my life, I do remember as a small boy, I don't know how old I would have been, uh, but not very old. I'm guessing five, six years old. And uh, I was at Yoder's Buffet, the restaurant at Yoder's. And uh, somewhere along the line, I figured out, you know, you, you can go back for more, you know, and uh, more of this and more ice cream and, you know, more. And, and so that's what I was doing. As a boy, I was able to help myself. And uh, it was wonderful. But I won't forget walking out of the restaurant. The, the memory that I have is walking out of the restaurant to our vehicle and how I felt and I did not feel good. It was, it was a bad enough feeling that I can still remember that setting. I don't remember anything about it. I don't know who I was with or anything like that. I was too small. But I remember realizing that uh, this wonderful thing is not good after all, or not so great after all. And I don't know if it had an impact for me for the rest of my life. Um, my, maybe just some words of wisdom from my wife as well that uh, as we were discussing this, um, as I was preparing, was that um, and when I talk about food, food's a topic we can easily jump to and say that uh, we're indulging in food. My wife said uh, the other thing to remember is that just because it doesn't show on you doesn't mean it's not wrong. And that's true as well. I think uh, I could get away with a lot of overeating. Maybe it doesn't visibly show and just hang on to me. 
but I can still overeat and I can still, you know, indulge and eat expensive food or indulge in that area. Um, thinking about the rest of the world and their view of us and how they could call us out, and I just thought about my day and as I go out throughout my day, even when I wake up in the morning, um, the bed that I wake up in, probably to most of the world, would be like, well, now, wow, isn't that quite cushy, you know, and nice covers, a nice quilt, you know. Most of the world would probably be fascinated or, or um, a nice portion of the world. Uh, there's a bathroom not far from my bedroom, you know. That's probably the case for a lot of you is we build a bathroom close to the bedroom, you know, and it's a nice bathroom. Uh, then I soon walk out into the kitchen, and the kitchen has every gadget. I mean, if Pampered Chef comes out with another thing that helps us a little bit, we get it, and we use it, and it's wonderful, right? Uh, it speeds up our day a little bit, and, uh, um, but, you know, we, we kind of take it for granted. It's just okay. And we, we don't remember so many people in the world uh, as we do that. And I'm not saying that's all wrong to have a nice kitchen and nice things in the gadget, but just nice gadgets. It's just something that when I to study this, I think it's stop and think a little bit about it and realize the blessing that it is um, and take it as such. Uh, we, then the food that I eat, bacon. Bacon is our breakfast food, right? Probably, I have a friend that uh, works at uh, Shady Maple at the buffet there. He's in maintenance. But he tells me that my best chance when I go to Shady Maple, I want to get my money's worth, right? You pay whatever it is for the meal. So while well, you go through the line, I don't know if you think about this, but what's, what's my money's worth here? Well, he says the only chance to possibly get your money's worth is if you beat all bacon. Then you might get your money's worth. But other than that, you're not going to get your money's worth. There's just too many other filler foods that uh, are good they're going to fill you up with. Um, but that's, that's our breakfast food. We, that's how we start our day out, you know. Uh, not every day. I eat a lot of cereal as well, but that's what we consider our breakfast food. Um, doesn't take long. We get in a vehicle, go to work, or go somewhere like that. Most likely the vehicle we drive is uh, probably a little more than what we'd have to have. And uh, to most of the world, it would be look like indulgence. Um, also, the, the other thing that I will talk about a little bit or try to talk about is this computer that we all carry around in our pockets now, you know. But we have to have it, you know, it's our way of communicating and it's, it's essential, you know, we need, it's not indulging, it's just, you know, something to stop and think about. Um, my grandma Burkholder turned 85 here when I was, the first night I was sharing this at Mount Hope. That week before I shared that, it was her 85th birthday and I uh, thought, well, I'm going to call my grandma, wish her a happy birthday and uh, ask her what she thinks indulging is, you know, she's been alive for 85 years. Uh, what, what might my grandma think? And uh, her opinion, she said uh, that there's always been something that was the thing to have or that was the thing. Um, but it seems like today technology is taking it to a new level. Somehow it's just taking us to another point and the consequences maybe are, we don't know really what the consequences are yet for indulging in technology or what all it brings for a long period of time. Um, and then she said also, especially for children, she really has to think when she sees children, goes to a restaurant and sees children, you know, on an iPad or something that are constantly uh, entertained by it. Um, that's definitely a form of indulgence. And uh, what are the consequences? We don't know. Not good. Um, and I had, I looked up a little bit of information uh, on the internet and just how many people are actually using the internet in the world when I was thinking about world perspective. Uh, 4.6 six billion active internet users were recorded as of January of 2021. 92.6% or 4.32 billion of these are via mobile devices. 
So most of the world accesses the internet through mobile devices, and that's probably the one that's in your pocket or the one that you carry around with you all the time that can stick with you. Um, I don't know what the long-term consequences of that are. So uh, my definition of indulgence is anything more than what God wants. Is that fair? Do you have a better one? When I try to define it, what is it? Um, I think that's maybe what we can drill back to. If, uh, if God wants me to have it, um, then, you know, and, and when I look at the 21st century America and my, my life experience, I'm speaking out of my life experience, I do often struggle with the difference between a blessing and a curse. You know, all these material things that we enjoy, are they truly a blessing to me? Or is it actually a curse to me, you know? Uh, if I'm in my pocket, if it's distracting me from my children, you know? or taking things away from me. Is that a blessing or you know, the same thing? Uh, when we have too much of it, more than what God would desire, why well, the same item that maybe he intended for our good immediately becomes a curse. So for scripture, to start out in scripture tonight, uh, what is the first example of indulgence that you can think of in scripture? I have to go back pretty far. What's the first one you think of? when We look at an example of someone indulging in scripture. Any ideas? Based on your definition of Eve. Very good. Eve, Eve reaching for something. And let's go back to, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, I want to read a couple verses here about the garden and prior to Eve making this step, what was there, and uh, the perfection of the garden. Uh, because we know nothing but an imperfect world and uh, that fallen nature, and right before that um, was not so. So... Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for, the, good for food. And these, in this verse, I want to think about our senses, because it is our senses that we indulge in. It's, it's something we see, and then we can look, at, you know, it attracts us to it. Uh, then we smell it, and it smells good, and then we want more, and we taste it, and we want more. It's our senses that causes us to do that. Well, here's um, what God says about the garden and how it was uh, for the senses. Uh, pleasant to the sight, good for food, good to taste, good to eat, smell good as well. Uh, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, then there's a couple verses that describe the rivers and whatnot in there. Then we go down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So just stop and think for a little bit um, about this, this picture that's painted there for us, I think is trying to describe to us a perfect place. Uh, God made it and it says it was good and he's a perfect God and when he makes something good, uh, it's, it's right, it's done right. And uh, it's hard to imagine what it might have smelled like and what it might actually look like and uh, uh, how good the fruit, fruit and whatever they were eating, how good that tasted and how wonderful it was. Uh, but then we know the story of how Eve was... Uh, was tricked. And uh, the other interesting thought to think about when we think about the garden um, is that, or, or the statement here that's made in verse 8, how he put, it says clearly here, and there he put the man whom he had formed in verse 8, says it again in verse 15 there, and he took the man and put him in the garden. He placed them there. And when it says something twice, I think it's trying to make a point. And the point is, 
that I'd like to draw from that as well is that God put you here as well in this place, in this time, in this era. Uh, I think of Esther for such a time as this. Each one of us was put here at this time. Um, Adam and Eve were put there at that time and given everything they needed, um, had all their needs met, no need to indulge in anything. I, and I, I don't know exactly uh, when I think of uh, the way things work today. If there's too much, soon it's getting rotten and it's, there's a stench to it and it's, it's waste. I'm not sure that was the case in the garden. It doesn't tell us exactly, but I can imagine the perfect God would, could have made that all the animals and the people that were there had enough to eat every day, and it was ripe, ripe, you know, when they needed it, there was just enough ripe to fill their appetite, take care of what they needed. That was it. And the next day, there was exactly what they needed again. That was it. Um, I don't know. You know, we don't know how long the garden went on, but it was perfect. Uh, but somehow, um, the devil was allowed to come in, and uh, he says in, in verse 4 of chapter 3 there that uh, he challenges us all and he tells them exactly the opposite of what God told them earlier on. And he says, you shall not surely die. God said, if you take of that fruit that you're not to, that you will surely die. And he says exactly the opposite. And uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, me and Ted Steinrock were both given the same topic. So... Uh, he was at uh, Lichty's the other night, two weeks ago maybe, and I listened to his whole sermon. And he really drew this out on this topic, how it's so important that we realize when we indulge, something dies. When Eve indulged, many things died. And he went on to really elaborate on that. I think that is very interesting for us to stop and think about. I think it kills, it dulls our senses. Every time we do something a little too far, a little too much, we, we kind of, it dulls our senses and we lose uh, there's a, a death of something within us, uh, of self-control within us that's affected. But each one of you here doesn't have to feel guilty for the things that God made available to you that's there. That's not something he wants us to do, I think. He placed us here in this time, in this era, uh, but he has a certain expectation for us, and we, we all need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, I think, would apply to this. Uh, what's indulgence to... Um, to me, may not be to you in different areas of life. Um, so keep that in mind. As we look at each other, I think it's important that we look at our own lives when we think of this subject. I do also recall, um, thinking of my time in Grenada and coming back to the U.S., um, and then what do we do? You know, we get together with friends and family, and we go out to eat somewhere. And I remember the first time I went out to eat to a place like Texas Roadhouse or something like that. I don't remember exactly where it was. And I had a, a, a true sense of discomfort that I didn't like. Um, couldn't, just felt like I'm sitting down with a bunch of people participating in, uh, in indulgence or something that's clearly wrong. Um, but, you know, over time, today I can go to a restaurant and sit down at I, I don't, that thought doesn't come to my mind. I don't have that same feeling anymore. Kind of get used to it. Kind of get used to our way of life. But I still like to remember or try to think about that, uh, what that feeling's really like and how, you know, the, the place that I'm living and to try to not get that um, to the place where we become, become comfortable with just living like the rest of the world around us does. I think we should be, uh, we're called out to different people to stop and think and, and uh, be able to, control ourselves above what the world around us does. All right. Um, I also think that God's will today is still he has a perfect will. And if we did, if, we, if the whole world around would get this right, 
I think everybody would have enough to eat and everybody would be able to live a wholesome, happy life. I think that with God's plan is still perfect. And he, if he's calling us all, he's calling everyone. And it is because of the um, out of balance, the lack of self-control that's happening that causes um, the, the ships from China, I have to think about. There's, there's loaded ships and we hear about these ships getting stuck different places. And many ships are coming to the U.S. loaded down and they go back across the Pacific again to China and there's not near as much going back and that's there's something that doesn't seem right about that you know um, that there's so much coming to us and less going out but somehow that's been going on for many years and uh, continues to work that way so each of us needs to be able to discern what's too much for us in order to balance this world out the best we can do our part I think we're called to be grateful for what we have and we need to ask God what to do with it. The things that he's given you, um, be grateful for what you have, ask God what you might do with it. So why do we indulge? Um, second point I wanna make, uh, 1 John 2.16 makes it clear. Maybe I'll turn to that quick and read that verse. 1 John 2.16, um, it's to please our senses. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of this world. It's through our lust that we, uh, we try, to, it causes us to indulge. We look at something too long, we want something, we, we want it for, to, to please ourselves. That's why we end up going to this. And many times, the, the things that are the most hard to control are the things that we need. You need food every day, you need to, to drink. Uh, it's when it's too much that we get out of balance. And uh, it's so easy on the things that we need. I think I, there's, um, we can start thinking about things that we don't have to have and many times we can cut them off. There's a place for that as well. And I'll talk about that more later. Um, I came up with five stages of, if you wanna call this a disease, the disease of indulgence, we give, cancer or different diseases, different stages to know how bad it is. Well, if I was to give five stages to this uh, disease of indulgence, the first stage is when it's, it's uh, a good right now. So since it's good right now, I, uh, I want it. Um, that's the first stage that we find into. And there's sometimes when uh, the right things are good, but when we decide that uh, we want something that we shouldn't have, it's because it's good right now. The second stage maybe what we can get to is I earned it so I deserve it. We can deceive ourselves into something that uh, uh, we think we earned and that we deserve, you know, and so therefore we justify it. Stage three, I've decided that the consequences really won't be that bad. I'm willing to take the consequences of this, you know, and maybe overeating could apply to that or if you have something else you're thinking about that uh, you're not sure if, you're, uh, if you have the quantity right on it, why well, that's the way we can justify it. Um, after a bit, we justify the consequences. Uh, at stage four, uh, we realize that we need it. You know, really, we're, we're, um, doesn't matter anymore. I need it, no matter what it is. We get to that point. Stage five, at the very end of this, um, I no longer care what the consequences are. If I'm completely deceived into indulging in something, but that's how the devil does, I think he progresses with it. And I used phone time a little bit maybe as an example of this. Um, if I come home from work and, and uh, need to follow up with a few things, maybe somebody called me on my way home or I have an email I need to respond to today. So I sit down, look at my phone, 
and uh, then something else comes up, so you know, I'm on my phone for 10 minutes, and if I would sit there long enough, and I don't know how long I've sat there already on my phone when I came home from work, um, 20 minutes into it, um, I'm still, well, I was at work all day, and I need to have a little time relaxing yet, so it's okay for me to look at the news, or even could be something good, but I'm still relaxing if I'm there for 30 minutes. Now my children are, you know, destroying the house around me, but oh well, I can clean it up later, right? The consequences won't be that bad. I can justify that. And I'm there 40 minutes, and I'm watching that has something that has totally got control of me, you know, whatever it might be, uh, some kind of sports event that's happening or something. Um, and so Amy's busy, that don't matter. The consequences aren't mattering anymore. This has control of me. My little two-year-old is screaming, and uh, I don't even soon see what's happening next to me because it has got control of me. Um, by 50 minutes or so, I'd say, in stage five, I don't care because I haven't considered what the consequences are. It doesn't really matter. But that's just, you know, events that happen in life and how things creep in and uh, can take control of us. And what are the consequences of neglecting your children? What are they? It can be pretty extreme. Um, it can be sobering to think about, but at the time, uh, we don't stop and think about what they are. The law of sowing and reaping, I think, comes into play here. Uh, we are going to sow. According to Galatians 6, 7, and 8, uh, God is not mocked. You will whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Very clear. And uh, we're sowing something every day, you know, so it's good and important that we stop and uh, consider what we're sowing and consider what we might reap because of it. Uh, it would be nice to, tonight to, um, and I could, spend a lot of time talking about um, self-control and its blessings or self-control and the, uh, the wonderful things that we can reap from that. That's exactly the opposite of this. As a matter of fact, if you have, anybody has this book, uh, The Doctrines of the Bible by Daniel Kaufman, when I first started looking at this, I looked through, well, what does Daniel Kaufman have to say about this? And I found the... Um, uh, the doctrine of self-control, I want to say it is, in the Christian life, um, self-denial, he calls it, page number 480. I read that whole thing, and it is just, it is a wonderful thing to read of how important self-denial is and how it affects every area of our lives and how it just, uh, it's bringing blessings. And each of you, I'm sure, if you're a, uh, if you have found Christ and he's assisted you in that, you're experiencing many blessings because of your ability to deny yourself. But looking at uh, the bad part of it or the, the downside of it is also something I think does us well, does us good as well. Um, and when I think, thought of the law of sowing and reaping, I did think of maybe two men that you would say are on top that, that uh, probably don't look around too often and see somebody that has more. Um, and the, the principles that they teach, and that uh, I have never read any of their books, but I think they, Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett, I think each have written a book or two. And uh, I've heard different people comment on them. And uh, they're both very much so about long-term thinking, making decisions that looking down the road, thinking right long-term. I can agree with that. Um, I couldn't agree more that we need to think long-term. Um, how about thinking about eternity? Just go a little farther yet, you know, and make decisions based on eternity. And then all of a sudden it becomes either. Um, Jeff and Warren, I would say, are both reaping what they're sowing. Uh, there, there are two men in America here today that we can read about their lives, and they are really, um, the law of sowing and reaping is true to them, um, in not just positive ways, but negative as well. 
Uh, they also both promote making very few decisions. Um, Jeff says no more than three a day. We shouldn't make more than three important decisions a day. And uh, I think that's a good, good piece of advice to think about not making too many decisions a day. Uh, Warren says that three good decisions a year is enough for him. And I'd like to just say, yes, I agree with that. But if you drill down and think about this a little more, I'd say we can back that all the way down to one. You really only need to make one good decision. And uh, that decision to make, his name is called Jesus Christ. We have to decide what we're going to do with him and what he calls us out to do. And uh, then, therefore, everything else can flow out of that. So we have to keep making that choice. Um, it, life does boil down to one choice. There's so many things in America we have to choose every day. But it, it really does come back to one. At some point, indulgence steals your ability to choose. You continue in anything long enough, and it will uh, rob from you your ability to make the choice of whether you need this or uh, to move on or not. And as I thought about that, um, I had to think, um, ask myself the question, how does indulgence affect the people around me, and especially my peers? And uh, this probably took me to one of the lowest places in my life when I had to think about my younger brother, Steve, and uh, the loss of my brother Steve, um, but many of his choices uh, were he was following after his older brother, and I made many choices that I can clearly see now looking back um, that because I did it, it was okay for my younger brother to do it as well. So when you think about this and, and the consequences, think about your children or your wife, your spouse, those that you're affecting and how it affects them um, when you make wrong choices, because I can definitely um, think of the consequences that that had on me, that, uh, that I made choices to, um, that I got away with in, in a lot of ways. And somehow I was able to come back from, thanks to the grace of God, uh, he was able to pull me out of, but my brother Steve seemed to uh, not be able to step away from many things. And alcohol, uh, drugs, he went down a road that was uh, much worse than he could have ever imagined. My dad would say, I still remember my father saying, when we talk about things like this, it's the high cost of low living. I think that's very true. That's, indulgence has a high cost, and it comes with its, its low living. Um, yeah, lots of, of memories of my brother Steve that I could think about. He passed away from a drug overdose in 2018, in August of 2018. And uh, at that time, and today yet, why I clearly could know uh, what the consequences of indulgence were and the effect it had on him. And we think about, when we think about drugs, and that's obviously something that people are indulging in today. Um, hopefully it's not an issue here, but it, it's, uh, it's happening in our world, and it's totally controlling people, and it's hard to understand. I just heard uh, on, the, on the news today a topic that they were talking about um, New York City is setting up centers for safe drug use to help with drug overdoses. So that uh, there's been over a million deaths now. You know, we're counting COVID deaths, right? And it's really adding up. I'm not sure what we're at, if we're 900,000 yet or not, total COVID deaths. And uh, kind of, I think it takes away from, uh, and that's what the devil is often doing. He's often tricking us into looking somewhere else as he's uh, taking action somewhere else. And I think that's maybe happening in our world with this, and, and I don't want to say there's not, uh, COVID isn't real. There's definitely something uh, it's taking a lot of lives, but just the way we're counting, um, 
is really adding up, but it hasn't added up yet to the amount of drug overdose deaths that we had in America already uh, since we've been keeping track of that. Um, and many of these people, uh, or this New York City, these centers that they're setting up, they think this is a good thing to just take it in moderation, right? They're going to control it. And when somebody's taking it too far, no, there's not a place for that. Uh, some things like this need to be cut off. And uh, the, the, in Matthew, when Jesus tells us that, he clearly says, if your right hand offends you, your most useful hand, cut it off. There's a place for that. That uh, uh, sin is not to be messed with. If there's something that's clearly sin in your life, there's not a place for moderation in that. Cut it off. Um, but I think um, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And I think this is one of the ways where we can be um, deceiving ourselves into justifying something, and it is sin. Uh, sports. I had to think of uh, America and how we do when we, right now, we're leading up to the Super Bowl, they're preparing for the Super Bowl, and American sports is a picture of indulgence. If you want to see something that's, hey, that is indulgence, I would say American sports, we, we take a game, a sport, a way to carry a ball from point A to point B, and then we just create... Uh, and indulge in it from one end to the other and spend millions of dollars and get lots of people wrapped up into it. Uh, the American sports, professional sports, I'd say, is a picture of that. And I don't know if you've uh, used this book. You guys use this book for your new believers in discipleship class. That looked familiar at all. This is the book that we use for, uh, it's an old book. I don't know where it comes from. Oops, I'm holding it upside down. The Christian Life um, to teach our new believers class. And we recently had a, a couple people that were transferring to our church and a couple new believers and we were going through this and uh, on page 105 I just want to read a couple things that's on beginning of the Christian life um, talks about recreation everyone needs recreation uh, but uh, things that we should look out for uh, here are some bad here are some rules for choosing recreation um, a avoid recreation which takes you into bad company and I'd stop and think a little bit about that I enjoy uh, wakeboarding uh, something I grew up doing, and it's uh, lots of fun to go behind a boat and wakeboard, if anybody knows what that is, with the sport of wakeboarding. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of bad company in wakeboarding. If you, It's just one of those things where it's not a, not a good place. You're going to go find other people. Uh, in the, you know, it's not quite the family-friendly sport that uh, um, baseball might be. Uh, B, just, and these are just a couple points that caught my attention in my own life. Um, do not, or do not become a slave to any game or amusement. And I had to think of, uh, when we're thinking about football and the season it is right now, there's many people that are a slave to it. They, they just are controlled or have to see what's going to happen next, and that's the entertainment level that's in it. And uh, as a young married man, I remember um, realizing that, you know what, I am, this, this whole football thing is just, it is controlling me. And something made me decide I'm going to take a year off. In order to prove uh, that this isn't controlling me, I'm just not going to pay attention for a year. And you would be amazed if you decide to do something like that, how hard that is to do. You talk about it to people at work, you know, if it's, uh, it's interesting conversation and what's happening. And uh, just to not pay attention to it or not get pulled into it is actually uh, pretty hard. But I remember being at, uh, uh, going to visit one of my uncles in South Carolina and we were traveling down. And I, we had a little extra time and we had agreed to meet them somewhere. And... I stopped at this boat dealer. There was a place we had a little extra time, so we swung in just uh, to look around at this boat place. And the salesman comes out to want to talk to me, and I uh, was chatting with him a little bit. And he mentioned something about uh, the Super Bowl, 
and I realized, yeah, the Super Bowl was this past Sunday, and I had totally forgot about it, hadn't heard anything about it, wasn't paying attention to it, and it really felt like success, still feels like success to me, that, that you can withdraw from something like that in our world today, and uh, it can go right on by and didn't bother you. Um, there's, there's amazing success that goes with that. Another point that said, avoid expensive forms of recreation. Things that are uh, become very expensive can cause you, can be wrong, just because of the expense. Uh, amusement which will spoil your desire to worship God are not for the Christian. Uh, recreation which leaves you tired and run down has really not recreated you. Uh, Sunday is a day for worship and rest, and there's where the, the NFL or the sport of football uh, really violates what I agree with, because when I think about football, it's something easy to talk about, maybe fine in my, I have a, um, 13 year old boy that, you know, he's what his friends are talking about. Um, but uh, it violates so many of the principles of the things I believe. Uh, avoid amusements which merely kill time. Do nothing you would not want to be doing when Jesus returns. So, just maybe an old book, something we still use, or we think about as an old book. There's a couple good points that, uh, as I was reading this time, really caught my attention when thinking about this topic. Also made me realize uh, that when we get too focused on something or uh, enthralled in something, we can, our true self can come out in it as well. I remember the, the time I was playing croquet um, as, a, as a teenage boy, I believe, and uh, we were one of my uh, parents' friends, and a couple of us children were playing croquet in the yard, and something happened. I don't know what it was. I don't know if I was knocked out of the game by another stinger or something that didn't go my way, and I took that wooden mallet and just, you know, whang, put it on the ground. Next thing I knew, I'm holding just the stick. And a uh, really quick consequence that made me realize that um, I really don't have self-control here. I have lost my control of this. And uh, so then I'm, years later, we're down in Grenada, and Rick Rhodes came to Grenada to share for a week of revivals. And he was telling a story, I don't know exactly his topic, but he said how he was playing croquet. He remembers as a boy and something happened went wrong and he did the same thing, wang to the ground, he's holding the handle and it, he used the verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 25, 28 says that he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. And I still, as I'm thinking about self-control, denying myself, um, that verse comes to my mind. And that's talking about an old city in the Bible times uh, the way to protect that city was to build a wall around it and to stand up and have guards on the wall. And uh, that's what kept that city safe. And if you don't have control over your own spirit that keeps you from indulging, you're just like a city that doesn't have walls and very vulnerable to be attacked and to be taken down by the enemy because you don't have this, this wall protection around you. So having self-control helps us avoid the consequences of indulgence. Um, Think about sports. I brought this couple things along to my um, antlers that, that I have that I remind me of different stories. Uh, this is the, oops, these things have been going for a little beating in my box. Um, but this deer, when I see this deer, it reminds me of uh, paying attention. I need to be alert and paying attention. When you're indulging in something, you're not. And uh, this deer here, um, was the first day of archery in 2020. Why I was sitting behind my house, and I also thought it would be neat to 
Uh, wouldn't it be nice to get hunting over with? It's one of the indulgences in hunting is the time consumption that it can take, and you can just indulge a lot of time. Well, in 2020, it was the first morning, about seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, this deer was not paying attention, just clipping along, and uh, walked right underneath my tree stand, and that quick I was done hunting. But what it taught me, or what I had to think about as well, was that uh, uh, how am I, am I just cruising through life, not paying attention, not looking out, and all of a sudden I'm tripped up by something. Uh, a deer, those of you that are hunters know, has many senses uh, that can outsmart us. And that's one of the main thrills. If you're not a hunter and it's hard to understand, what are these men, you know, spending hours out there in the woods doing? Well, one of the things that they're doing is trying to uh, overcome them senses of that deer and outsmart that deer. There's a certain pleasure in uh, having dominion over that animal and having that animal come by you without it realizing that you're there. Um, and just like that deer is given a nose to smell, each one of you is given uh, a, a form of sense that, that warns you of danger. Um, I had deer ready that came, uh, I was in the middle of a woods um, up in Clinton County, was bear hunting and this group of deer came by and I was up in a tree for a couple hours. Um, so my trail that I walked in on was a couple of hours old. This group of deer came down past and the first deer came to the trail where that I walked in on and I had done everything I could not to have any scent, right? You know, uh, keep my boots in the back of the truck in this box with no, nothing with any scent and uh, did everything I possibly could not to give that deer or a bear or anything an indication that I'm there. And the first deer just got close to that trail, didn't even walk across it and it stopped and backed up and just stopped and would not move. And this whole herd of deer that was following along realized there was danger around. They didn't move for a long time, just because of a little smell. And I think that's a, how we need to be as Christians. If something just doesn't smell quite right, doesn't feel quite right, you know, back up and uh, look around. And a deer can see movement from far away and pick something out. Um, they also have ears that can hear a lot of things. They have a lot of senses that really alert them. Um, but this unfortunate deer is one that uh, wasn't paying attention. Another guy here I had from a few years earlier, uh, this guy here was uh, one cold winter morning. I was out in a tree for a couple hours, and uh, me and my friend that had went down to this place in Texas County had agreed that at a certain time we are going to meet in the truck. So before, it was maybe 10 minutes before we agreed to meet, or 15 minutes, I was soon going to have to go down. I took my rattle bag, and I made, you know, and I was really rattling, didn't ever have called a deer before like that because that's not the loop, makes a noise. Well, that poor deer was tricked into thinking that there was another uh, a buck fight going on somewhere. And he came, his senses were very, his hearing senses told him right where I was. He came right underneath my tree and stopped right there and uh, never knew what hit him, didn't make it out. And I think the same way is true of us. Uh, we can be deceived into thinking that there's something there that there's not. So we need to. Um, Concentrate on using all of our senses to um, stay alert, stay keen on what's, what's tricking us today. Um, we paint these things. It's important that we be honest about where we're at with indulgence. We can paint stuff as things that we need or we love, um, but everything has a capacity, and we often want more than we need. I think that's an important fact to think about. Capitalism tells us uh, more is better. Always good to have more, right? Uh, that's just the American way. More is, more is better, but in some, at some point it's not. We all need the grace of God as well, I think is important in this. Um, moving on, maybe real quickly to the last two points. What are the consequences? 
I'm going to say the consequence is always the same. It's death. The consequence of sin is death. And the consequence of indulgence, even though it might appear just as little and minor, it's always death. Uh, the end result uh, always leads to that same place. Um, Powerball Jack, I had to think of him. Anybody know who Powerball Jack is? Ever hear that story? It was a, a man from West Virginia that was worth $17 million, I think, when he, and he was 55 years old and won the lottery. And just, you can read lotteries, people won the lottery, and then just how it, they indulged after that. And so many times, death is the end result. Uh, devastating stories. So not, not much to um, debate about. Self-control was necessary before the fall. That's another thing that I had to think about. It was. Uh, they really, Eve should have had self-control. Um, what is the cure? Maybe my last point that I want to make. Um, number one, I think fasting from something is always an excellent cure. Um, there is the benefits of fasting. There's more to it. I don't, I don't know what all is to it. I do think uh, Jim Weaver might have taught a topic uh, one year at, uh, what do they call that in September, that Keystone has, Equippers Institute that I went to on fasting. And uh, excellent thing to do. Just cut yourself off from something for a period of time, whatever it might be. You can fast on many different things um, and, and make a choice to stay away from it. James 1.17 clearly says that self-control is a gift from God. Um, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, when we look at the fruits of the Spirit and meekness and temperance, uh, just having temperance or self-control over something, um, it was never, it says, against such there was no law. It was never against the law. Uh, Matthew 5, 5 says, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. So the meek person, when I think of a meek person, someone that uh, um, Moses being explained as the meekest man, was a picture of power under control. Moses has lots of power. God was able to give him uh, power and authority to do many things because he had control of himself. Um, so it's power under control. Another thing I had to think about or thing that we should do as a cure, uh, I, Sheldon Kilmer, from that's a minister of living, living water, um, if you walk out, into his house, turn around, look above the front door. As you're walking out, there's a set of stairs going down to his front door, and above the front door is a Norman Rockwell painting. And it says, it's a picture of this fancy cathedral in New York City, I don't know the name of it, St. Matthew's, something like that. Um, and in the porch underneath, there's a man on a stepladder and a sign there, and he has these letters that he put up on the sign that say, lift up thine eyes. And on the street and the sidewalk below is lots of people walking by, but everybody's walking by looking down. And I think we can get caught doing the same thing. We lift up our eyes and look up. Uh, there's so much to see that we can miss because we're indulging or getting caught up in, in the things that are drawing our attention. Um, a cure, just a simple cure is to lift up our eyes. Crucify the flesh, put to death, cutting it off. Talked about that a little bit. Matthew 5 um, clearly talks about there's a place to cut it off. Let's stop talking about indulgence. Cut it off. I heard a man speak already on, um, he was a counselor for young men, and the difference between the successful young men that come to him with a problem, often with pornography, things like that, they realize they have a problem, and uh, in the first meeting he'll have with them, he'll say, well, you know, young man, that phone that's in your pocket, you're probably going to have to give that up if you want to overcome this. 
And he said, it's the, the boys that decide to give that, to cut that phone off are leaps and bounds ahead of the one that try to moderate it, try to hang on to it. So there's a place for cutting it off. Become addicted to the things that God wants you to do. In Galatians 16, 15 talks about the church uh, indulging in the right things or becoming addicted to the right things. There's a place for that, uh, to do the right thing. Also, I had to think of Judas and Mary at the end of Jesus' life. Uh, Mary was indulging, right? They looked at her as indulging for spilling that perfume. But Jesus said that was the right thing to do, uh, to, to give it all to Jesus. Judas was there as well, and uh, he, he's the one that actually verbalized what a lot of people were thinking and said, Wasn't, shouldn't that have been given to the poor? He even said the right thing. But he was indulging in the wrong things. And there is a place to pour out to the right things. All right, my time's up. Let's pause for a short prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight for allowing us to stop, take a moment, and look at the, uh, the wonderful things in life that you've blessed us with, the place that you've put us here in America today. Just thank you for each one here tonight. Pray that you would uh, be with them and allow them to uh, see clearly uh, their lives and what you want for them, the quantity of each thing, the many things that you want for us, and help us to be willing to give up what you would rather not have us have or be able to uh, set an example to the others around us of, of what's proper, what's right, and uh, somehow be able to discern that in our lives today. And just give us safety as we travel home, be with us as we uh, go throughout the week, and help us, because of the time we spent tonight, be better prepared to face the things that lie ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.